Hi, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Down to Business. I am Amanda Andrews, Managing Editor for New Hampshire Business Review, joined as always by Mike Cody, Editor from New Hampshire Magazine and New Hampshire Business Review. Thank you, Amanda. Today, we are joined by Tony Fernandez, the Center Director and President for the New Hampshire Manufacturing Extension Partnership. So welcome, Tony. Uh, Welcome. Thank you for having me. I guess we should start by, um, if you can give me a little rundown of what the partnership is, um, and I know you're a little new to the role, uh, sort of, what what you've seen over the years, how it's been. Okay. Uh, I'm new to the New Hampshire uh, Manufacturing Extension Partnership, but I've been a client for over 20 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, knowing how it works and uh, the benefits of it are something that I've experience firsthand. Uh, I actually started as a client around 2000 or so in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, get my first president's job and at that time uh, we needed to change over our business plan. Uh, we went from a distribution-based uh, model to an OEM model and as a result of that one of the first people that we had uh, that came in was the uh, Manufacturing Extension Partnership in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, their, their model is a little bit different. Uh, every um, center or every state has a different uh, business model, and I can talk about that in a couple of seconds, but uh, basically theirs was more of a collaborative where the bigger companies, the John Deere's, the Kubota's, the Harley-Davidson's, and people like that, uh, basically work with the MEP uh, to train and educate smaller companies uh, to work with them to get a better value stream and a better supply chain. Because in that case, what was happening is mostly through the um, uh, Midwest when you had the Rust Belt, m- most of your producers are in that region. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to uh, get a better quality, get a, get a better distribution. And what other, you know, what better way is the, your actual uh, OEMs to work with these suppliers to develop uh, that quality pathway? And what about, because um, in New Hampshire, there's a, essentially the partnership is offering like workshops, training, and all these resources and services that are essential to these small to medium-sized manufacturers to help them succeed. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about the model a little bit. In New Hampshire, it's a little bit different. From, well, let me explain how the uh, MEP works. Well, first off, we're a part of the U.S. Commerce Department. So there are 51 areas, all 50 states in Puerto Rico, which has an MEP. Uh, the bigger states like Ohio or New Jersey or New York or uh, California, states that are heavily uh, in, you know, um, ingested in manufacturing have multiple centers. So Ohio can might have eight or nine centers. Uh, New Jersey has three or four. Um, Florida has 10 or, 10 or 12. Here in the, uh, the New England areas, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, we're basically sold to each state. And the way we work is we get our 100% funding uh, from the uh, Commerce Department. And most of the states get some sort of a uh, state uh, matching. Unfortunately, here in the state of New Hampshire, we do not get that matching. So what we are is dependent upon, work, as you said, workshops and different collaborative events that we have that we can raise some funds so we can educate and help the manufacturers of um, New Hampshire. 
uh, as far as the the way things work, uh, you know, from a, a day-to-day thing, uh, atmosphere, what we're trying to do is go and uh, search out the manufacturer who needs some sort of help. And it's a lot different today as comparative to it was years ago. Years ago, it was primarily in the lean. What manufacturers primarily here in New Hampshire are looking for is sustainability. And when I say sustainability, we have a lot of small shops. So these small shops uh, are looking for, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word succession plan, uh, plans, but what they're looking for is some sort of a growth plan. They uh, have problems, obviously, with workforce, but they also need to develop their workforce. They need to understand the leadership qualities. They need to understand the value chain. They need to understand the supply chain. So what we'll do is we'll go in, we'll do an assessment uh, for these companies, and then from that uh, we'll work out a program, or a step program that will help them you know, gain some sort of sustainability. And again, the, the key thing for now is to look at it from a management standpoint as opposed to an engineering and a lean standpoint, which we, the MEP did for so many years. So would you say that companies uh, get the most benefit if they're at an inflection point where they want to grow? They're at a place where maybe they need to add more capacity in some way? Uh, the, the situation that you have right now is workforce is so dominant in the question of growth. Uh, I've been to companies where they have maybe 10 to 12 employees. They're doing you know, well, in some cases maybe exceptional well. Uh, in order to go to that next step, they're going to have to hire. And that's a real, real problem here uh, with unemployment being less than 2% with the inability of bringing in skilled workers from other areas because of housing. There's a lot of restrictions and a lot of components that we have here in the state that uh, we're going to have to figure out before. So what we're trying to do, from a, as I said before, is to work within the infrastructure that they have. Uh, obviously, from a lean aspect, you want to get better quality. You want to get better uh, efficiencies and things like that. But the key thing that what, what we're finding is most manufacturers today are looking for uh, workforce development. Now that we have these people, how do we keep them? How do we develop them? How do we make them better? How do we uh, get them more productive? So probably with programs like we, um, Amanda and I recently visited Aileen Candles in Milford, and that journey actually started from a talk about an apprenticeship program they have where they brought in, uh, actually, I was a kind of chemical engineer working that they, they came in through the program. Those types of partnerships, so those are things you're working on to find pathways for these companies? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, they are uh, one of our clients. Uh, the, the process that you're, you know, we're looking at right now is really, as I said before, is more of a collaborative at- atmosphere itself. The uh, amount of manufacturers that we have here in the state are, you know, they think there's about 2,000 or so that they've recorded. But of those 2,000 manufacturers, most of them, probably 1,000 or more, are small. And when I say small, they might be 10 or less employees. So when we're, uh, you know, looking at these companies itself, we have to look at them as, you know, sole entities. How are these companies going to be able to weather and sustain in the near future? You know, one of the big things that we have out there is technology. And in order for these companies to, to grow, and in any manufacturing company, you have to have the ability to innovate. So a lot of what we're doing with these small companies, as I said, was part of the process itself from sustainability is working with them within the workforce, but also training them you know, with the latest prop 
you know, manufacturing processes and hopefully igniting uh, some people within the organization to uh, develop some sort of an innovative plan. That's the key thing. If you're, if you're not going to innovate, especially in a small manufacturing company, uh, it's going to be a disaster. Tell us a little bit about the sectors that some of these smaller companies are in. I can imagine there are places we drive by every day not knowing that there's a dozen people inside making something. Uh, yeah, uh, we have, and again, I'm being relatively new to the state of New Hampshire, uh, I've been amazed, I'll be honest with you, totally amazed with the amount of precision manufacturing that we have throughout the state. We have a couple of pockets. You go up into the Claremont area and you have big companies like Whalen uh, who are uh, in the, um, I don't want to use the word defense manufacturing, but they're the safety. They do a lot of police and fire and uh, their facility is about 600,000 square feet. And then you also have a lot of precision manufacturers and semiconductor uh, people in that area. Uh, you go into the uh, Keene area. The Keene area is an area where you have tons of small machine shops, precision machine shops doing incredible work, um, yeah, particularly in the defense industry. And then you will go to the other side of the state, the uh, the, the eastern more, uh, portion in the Portsmouth area, and you're going to find a similar type of uh, uh, background, but primarily they're in the shipbuilding. you got uh, Electric Boat, who's supporting a lot of that product. So when you look at the state itself, there's a, a wealth, a swath of precision manufacturing that is probably taking up the bulk of the manufacturing capacity here in the state. Um, when you look at these small little shops, uh, seven or eight people, uh, the one thing that we have uh, is the innovation from a lot of the small schools, or excuse me, from the big schools in the New England area. What, what you have is a lot of New Hampshire residents who have gone to, uh, you know, the Ivy League schools, the, the MITs, the P- schools like that who are coming back and have the availability uh, because there's a small manufacturing company or a small back manufacturing base to, to be very innovative. It's tough to be innovative in a big company with secrets and things like that. Uh, in a small company, it, it, it actually fosters that environment because, you know, having seven or eight people, having the availability. Uh, again, I don't want to put names of companies, but it's been interesting to, to work with some young people uh, to know that they have a, a much longer leash here in New Hampshire than they would have in a much more established company. Yeah, and you you mentioned earlier about how um, you know helping fundraise uh, through events, and you just had a major one uh, last weekend. Um, the Governor's Advanced Manufacturing and High Technology Summit, and I was wondering if you could shed some light on how that went and sort of um, what what your purpose was. It went exceptionally well. Um, we actually started the morning with about a hundred, excuse me, two hundred and sixty-eight people registered. And we had another 30 or so walk-in. So uh, That's the, awesome. amount, the amount of the event, uh, you know, obviously some people didn't show up. But uh, we filled the, the, the venue. And from that standpoint, obviously, I was very happy. Um, but we as a group were happy because the one thing that we wanted to do in this event, more so than in the prior years, was developing a networking uh, atmosphere within the manufacturing community. Having worked in different areas of the country, I've worked in the South, I've worked in the Midwest and here in the Northeast, and even here in uh, New England over the past you know, 20 years or so, 
one of the things that you see is that the, the New England mentality is a much more parochial mentality. Everything is confined. But in New Hampshire, it's even more confined. It's even more uh, sequestered. And it's a, it's a real problem from an innovative standpoint. And what we're going to talk about in maybe a few minutes about this, the summit itself is from the chips and from supplies uh, sustainment uh, aspect. What you have is you have a lot of manufacturers, small manufacturers, as I mentioned before, who are doing great work, who have never had the ability to communicate with each other. And that communication is important for two reasons. One, it's important from understanding what you're manufacturing, what your capabilities are. But it's understanding from the supply chain that there might be somebody around the corner who might be able to, to give you a product. And I have found in the past four months or so that there are companies here in, in New Hampshire who are manufacturing companies who are um, buying from China who could basically go three or four miles down the road and get that same product. Um, but there's never been a real collaborative or cooperative uh, you know, uh, assessment out there to try to get these people to, to, uh, to talk to each other. Uh, so what the, the summit did this week is it gave the availability of manufacturers to come in, and we got a lot of positive feedback. Uh, initially, there was some you know pushback. Uh, the in, the initial uh, registrations were slow because manufacturers don't don't network here in New Hampshire. We just don't do that. Yeah. Uh, well, you better start doing it. And. Uh, what people have to start to realize with me is I'm relentless. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> so we, we kind of push back and push back and push back. And, uh, you know, a lot of our clients, uh, we made it to the point that uh, I don't want to say it was a requirement, but we uh, kind of twisted their arm as much as possible to get there. And, you know, it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know. And when they got there, they realized that, oh, my gosh, uh, nobody's here to steal my ideas. Um, but if I talk to people, there are also services that we have. And you had asked before about the, uh, the, the uh, partnership. One of the things that we have is the availability to bring in a lot of third parties. Um, our, our business model for years has, or our business model has changed over the years uh, because we can't uh, basically uh, retain, just like in the, the, the normal workforce, uh, the amount of talent that we need. So what we do is we subcontract across the board. So if you need leadership, we can get you the best leadership. If we need coaching, we can get you the best coaches. If you need ISO certifications, if you need you know black belt certifications, we can find those people there. And that's really what we did. We tried to bring in as many sponsors. We actually had 24 sponsors this year, which was the most. And uh, I spent most of my time speaking to the sponsors to make sure that they were happy uh, with their uh, representation and the ability of the people that they talked to. And uh, there was one or two who said that at lunchtime they were ready to close up, not because they were uh, you know, disappointed, but they had more than enough work to keep them busy, that more than enough people had talked to them. Obviously, they didn't close up, but I was just happy to see, you know, see from that standpoint. But if you can afford me just two minutes, there's mm -hmm. a couple of things I, I would like to thank. Uh, you know, we had a great uh, summit itself. And the summit itself was made up really of, of three different components. Uh, we had uh, the CHIPS Act. And Jessie Stoneman from the Commerce Department did a great presentation. Uh, she was able to explain the CHIPS Act in uh, as a simplistic form as possible. Um, we had Kyle Schofield 
Kyle is from Mainstay, and he was probably the star of the event. (laughs) (laughs) Scared a couple of people, but at the same time, he was very, very informative uh, with uh, AI and both the benefits and uh, the the cautions that you had to have out there. And we got a lot of feedback. Uh, A lot of people uh, didn't understand. Uh, and again, we tried to educate them. And really, the third part of the, the process itself is we had uh, the Woman in Manufacturing Summit, which was uh, headed by Amy Bassett. Um, that was really important to me because one of the things that we have to understand, uh, especially in, in, biz- in manufacturing comparative to business, is the amount of women who are taking uh, leadership positions. Now, I know in, in the conversation itself, you know, some of the numbers that were quoted uh, with, uh, you know, the representation, um, but mine is the eye test. Going into factories here, going into businesses, I see more and more women. I see more and more women in leadership. I see more and more women on the, on the factory floor. So from that ca- uh, component, it was real, real important that we got that uh, narrative started. And the last thing I'd like to talk about is the two uh, people from the um, both the federal government uh, and uh, actually from state representation, um, Maggie Hassan and uh, Chris Pappas. Um, I was really happy that they showed up. And the, the reason I was so happy is it showed a commitment to manufacturing. Uh, we had talked before we went out of the air about the Army event that was in the area. Uh, and uh, they were able enough were able and smart enough to figure out a way for them to both be here. Uh, you know, Senator Hassan came in, did her remarks prior to the Army event, and Representative Pappas uh, basically tagged him on the way out uh, after the Army event. So it, it was you know, obviously very worthwhile from the summit because it kept people's attention. We got the people coming in. And uh, the availability of uh, Representative Pappas being there at the second half uh, kept fannies in the seats. (laughs) (laughs) That was very important. Uh, You know, they showed that there's a commitment to manufacturing here in the state. And uh, that's really what we need. And since you mentioned Army, let's talk about which Army you're talking about, the ARMI Army, also known as the Advanced Manufacturing Army. it's Manufacturing Institute. I'm missing a word. Regenerative. Advanced Regenerative Manufacturing Institute, which is why Dean came and they also came up with BioFab USA. Easy to say and easy to remember. And that's worth mentioning because here we are. Thanks for visiting us in the Wombat Mill Building in the Manchester Mill Yard, which is where this whole project is underway in multiple buildings. And the expectation is over over time, several thousand jobs will come from this Um one of the events last week was that the Army project was named a tech hub, one of 31 tech hubs in the country that will be able to compete for, I believe it's $500 million that was secured, I think up to $75 million per tech hub. And here we're talking about developing human tissue, bones, organs. Uh, the building next door to us is working on artificial lungs. Tell us about the impact of that. Um, again, we're in the, in the Milliard, which was once the largest textile manufacturing operation in the entire world. Well, it's, it's important to understand that what the word manufacturing means. And it's changed dramatically over the past, you know, five, ten years. Uh, when I graduated from college, manufacturing was that dirty place that you went. <laughs> and it, it started to change. And you got more into the high tech, into the, you know, into the pharmaceutical areas. You got into the aerospace. And it started to change over that period of time. 
And the area of the Army uh, process right now, uh, it's a different type of manufacturing. Uh, you know, it's the manufacturing of something that's probably very, very important to a lot of people. Uh, it's components, it's tissues, it's things like that that are going to save lives. It's, it's things that are going to give us the availability to live a much more productive life. So when you look at manufacturing, you look at it in a, in a, through you know, many different prisms. Uh, the one key component of manufacturing is that it should always make it easier and it should make it safer. And in this case, with the, uh, the uh, evolution of what is happening with the Army process itself, it's going to make it uh, to the point where it's going to uh, allow you to live a healthier and a longer life. Uh, it's amazing uh, of the different processes and different components. We actually have a few people who have uh, visited the facility, have gone through that. Uh, hopefully in the next couple of months or so, we'll get more involved with that. I know the people from the BEA are very, very involved uh, with the Army process right there. And uh, if you look at manufacturing from their, from their standpoint, that is probably the, the top of the list, um, what they're doing out there. So you know, from that aspect, it's it's manufacturing, but even more so, it's that high tech. It's the the you know the engineering process. It's the medical process. It's it's the blending of so many different techniques that you have out there, and you know the ultimate goal itself is a, a better life. And what you know, I know that it's still a learning and an ongoing process, but what do you hope to, um, you know, what are your plans for um, the near future for the partnership? Well, uh, again, uh, you know, one of the things that I have um, or in my quiver (laughs) (laughs) is that I've been a client of the MEP. So I know the benefits of the MEP. Uh, client in two different areas uh, of the the nation, in Wisconsin and Massachusetts. So I know the benefits of what you can have. Uh, The good thing that uh, I've always seen from a client standpoint is the helping. They they have the availability to give you instruction, give you support, and give you education. Uh, The problem or the situation that we have in the state here of New Hampshire is a funding issue itself. And as a result of that, what we're trying to do is develop a secondary source. And I don't mean, you know, state funding or things like that. We're going to develop a source that hopefully we can work with that will give us the availability to touch more people. And when I say touch more people, those are the manufacturers that are out there, the small people. It's very, very difficult for a seven-person operation to spend $30,000 on, on a project or a commitment. Um, that's a person, that's a half a salary, that's whatever you have out there. Uh, in order for them to, to grow and to sustain, we're going to have to figure out a way of helping these people. Uh, as I've said before, in the state of Wisconsin, for example, the bigger companies do that. They will go in and they will either put through a grant program or some sort of feasibility study that will allow dollars to be uh, paid through the MEP or whatever other process that will allow that to happen. In the state of uh, Massachusetts, uh, there are a lot of grant programs. There are a lot of state programs that are out there. Uh, Unfortunately, as I've said, in in New Hampshire, we're going to have to be a lot more creative. One of the things that I'd like to do is to adopt uh, a philosophy of of the model that they used in the state of Ohio. And uh, Ohio, it's a manufacturing company uh, area. Well, yeah, uh, but people realize that 
and the way that they support manufacturing in Ohio is through a lot of grant programs. Uh, hospitals, banks, um, cable companies, people like that, um, by law, <laughs> have to give back some of this to the community. And one of the things that uh, the Ohio model has been able to do is to educate these um, organizations that what we do here at the MEP is educating. Uh, we are informing. We are teaching. And as a result of that, we become a very, very fertile uh, uh, spot for donors. Uh, Cleveland Hospital um, gives a ton of money to the Ohio. Well, why is the hospital doing that? Well, it's because it's the right thing to do because you have manufacturing, you have moms, uh, single mothers who need health care. Um, they can use those dollars. And when, how does manufacturing and health care? Well, if you don't have health care, excuse me, child care, uh, you're not going to have manufacturing in today's world itself. So when you look at that, you, know, you look at the Comcast, you look at the CNS manufacturing people, uh, wholesale people who provide um, a lot of the frozen foods and uh, storage and things like that. Banks that are out there, you know, the event that we held, uh, M&T Bank was our primary sponsor. Uh, they do a lot of community work. Uh, there are three or four other banks out there who were looking for um, customers. But the thing I was talking to them about is, really, what are you talking about from your grant program? Where are you? <laughs> How can we help down there? Because there's a, there's a real pathway out there for banks, uh, for these civic organizations, whether it be hospitals or, um, as I said, the cable companies or service organizations, to get their word out and, and to people, but help people. Uh, and we can help manufacturers out there. So that's the goal. That's the project. That's the vision that we have down the road. So I see a lot of networking events in your future. A lot. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things that came about uh, as a result of Friday is over the weekend, the amount of emails of people who now want me to talk, uh, which is good. Uh, I, I would be more than healthy, ha happy. Uh, to explain uh, what the MEP process is and how we can help manufacturers. You know, uh, just a little bit about me. Uh, for th two or three years, I was kind of semi-retired. I had um, been a, a CEO of a company. The pandemic came about and kind of <laughs> washed my dreams away, let's put it that way, and said, it's about time for you to retire. So for the past two or three years, what I've done is I had a cons consulting business. I, te I was teaching in an MBA program at a college in Massachusetts. And I was the Western Mass Director for SCORE. So I kept myself in the game. Um, but really what I want to do or the availability of me coming back here is really from a helping standpoint, is educating. As I said before, uh, being a client for 20 years, uh, there's something you got to give back. Because uh, if it wasn't for the MVP, and I do believe this, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today from a success standpoint and from a manufacturing. Well, we're lucky to have you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned the score. You mentioned being with score and certainly their model. I can see the parallels with what you're trying to do, tapping all kinds of expertise from people who are already here who want to share their knowledge. Uh, well, that's that's a key thing. I spoke at a score event here in Manchester, uh, the local chapter, a couple of weeks ago. And I was very thankful. A couple of SCORE members showed up at the, um, at the summit uh, with, with some clients. 
that's one of the things that we're going to have to do here, in more so than in any other state. Uh, I'm using the SBA. Uh, when I say the SBA, that's a lending organization. Well, the SBA has the SBDC and it has SCORE. Those both organizations are fully funded and they have a great capability. If you look for the, you know, the SBDC with Liz Gray and her group, they've been able to go out and do a lot of the work uh, in support businesses. But occasionally they come up with a manufacturing uh, uh, company and they'll feed that back in and say, you know, we have they, this problem, this problem. Can we work with that? And we've started to work with the SBDC. So that's the first set of boots on the ground. The other thing that we've been working with in that SBA is the SCORE model. Uh, we have four active clients right now or four active uh, prospects of clients that have come from SCORE who, you know, the, the one-on-one mentors. Hey, I'm working with the company. You know, the, the one good thing about SCORE is it's for the life of the business. So you have a mentor who had been with that company maybe for 10 or 15 years, uh, you know, an entrepreneur who started that company and now is doing well and wants to either innovate or unfortunately maybe sometimes has has a problem. That score person now has somebody to talk to in manufacturing and say, hey, Tony, we we have this. We have this manufacturer who uh, needs this. We need this. And a lot of what we can provide for small manufacturers as part of what I said before from the – uh, government or the government liaison, we can find what those programs are. We can connect people. Uh, under the CHIPS Act, one of the more important things that we have to do is we have to get manufacturers and legislators talking. Uh, because in the CHIPS Act, what you have is the uh, availability of, of a lot of money, but you also have a lot of misinformation out there. And it's going to take a collaborative event. And that was one of the things that um, Deputy Stoneman had talked about. In order for this CHIPS program to work, particularly here in the state of New Hampshire, there's going to be a lot of collaboration and, you know, a consortiums of, uh, of businesses. Uh, the way that the, the federal government wants to put it out, it's not going to be like the ARPA money where they give money to states and cities and they give it to, to businesses. Uh, these $200 million uh, grants are you could build hundreds of factories or 50 factories. So in order to do that, you're going to have to get five, six different companies together. You're going to have to get the social service agencies. You're going to have people who are going to build housing. You're going to have to get, you know, daycare is part of the process. I think if you, if you were there, you had heard that. Uh, there's so many different components that in order for this to work, and one of the things that we're finding here is uh, when the actual chips process came about, and uh, you always think it's a little bit of lip service, uh, the Biden administration said that the MEP was going to administer it. Well, I'm actually going to meetings and there's people with .gov after their name right now on a lot of their emails. So uh, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, we're getting much more involved in it. Uh, but, you know, the reality is we're going to need some more help. Uh, and but, just, just to uh, let... Listeners know who aren't familiar with the CHIPS Act, and you can elaborate, Tony. It's really the government um, trying to bring the manufacture of semiconductors back to this country. Well, yes. Uh, it, it really is a lot more than that, though. Uh, what what it has morphed into, um, obviously, for the people who are from the semiconductors, uh, for people who are waiting for trucks for a year, understood this Another problem that you have. Everything in this uh, in this world runs by a computer, and most of the computer chips were uh, offshored for years. 
And as a result of the pandemic, we as a country had a real, real problem. So what we're trying to do is is to bring back as many. And they made a, Jesse made a point of this. We're not going to be able to bring back everything. But in order to do that, again, when you look at the manufacturing component, the chip is one of the things, and you got to you got to peel back the onion. So you have the chip out there. You're going to need cooling, uh, people who provide cooling services. You're going to need uh, manufacturers who actually assemble the, the, the chips itself. You're going to need so many lines and levels of within the, what we would call the value chain or the supply chain, so that the chips program, and that's why it's important for a lot of small manufacturers to understand this. If the chip process comes back, that's the top of the peak. Everything at the bottom of the pyramid is going to start to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So the, the key thing, and I've used the word sustainability a lot, that's the real goal of, of the CHIPS Act itself. It's to gain or regain some sustainability uh, here. Um, obviously, the CHIPS are more important than toilet paper, but it's that same component, what people understood. Uh, if you don't have the product uh, and you think it's, it's available, you better be able to manufacture it here in the United States. And it kind of goes back also to your theme of getting companies together, not realizing, hey, that part product, that part you're importing from China, you can actually have it made right next door in a small plant. Well, one of the things that, you know, people and uh, the gentleman who was um, the uh, president of the New Hampshire Bank for M&T Bank, he made a statement. <laughs> he, uh, he prefaced prefaced it. By saying that, you know, wages are going up. Well, wages are going up uh, as a result of many different factors. And I, as I said, I teach in the college side and I could argue both sides from the economic standpoint. But the bottom line here is that uh, in order for us to have a sustainability, we're going to have to start manufacturing again in the United States. And uh, obviously, it's going to mean that products going to be much more expensive because we're not going to have the, you know, the, um, the, the Asian or third world uh, pricing structure. Uh, but the one thing that we're going to find that we have, and if you look at it from manufacturing companies and from uh, major manufacturers, they want two things right now. They want quality and they want availability. Uh, if uh, if you're looking at, you know, I just read today, the auto workers um, uh, settled. So I think Ford and GM, uh, you'll, you'll have that back. Uh, you know, some people talk about astronomical raises and things of that standpoint. But you know what? What, the, what drove that is that the demand for cars. Uh, people still want the, the product. Now, how you work out the, you know, the, the X's and O's, as I would say, from the financial standpoint, that you know, those companies will work it out. But the bottom line is that there was the demand uh, and there was the need, and it's going to happen here in the United States. So what we're finding right now, as I said before, is you need availability and quality. If you could put the quality into the product and if it's available, uh, they'll figure out a way to get it um, you know, basically paid for. Not to use the Apple model where people will pay for an Apple product. It's oh. much more expensive than any other product. Well, you know that that's one of the you know I you know uh, in business I, I teach the last two uh, courses of the MBA program, which is strategic management and the Capstone project. And if you look at that, the Apple model is what everybody says you know strives for. They basically have driven innovation to in dif- differentiation. That's a, a word that's hard to say, but. Um, uh, more so than anything else from a, from a company. They have allowed people or basically uh, migrated 
the the human nature of people that they want this more than anything else. So uh, should an iPhone cost thousands of dollars? Absolutely not. But you know what? <laughs> people are more than willing to pay for it based upon the innovative and the differentiation. And it's that type of a process. So uh, a lot of companies here in the United States uh, from a you know secular standpoint are going to have to adopt that. Um, and, and we're finding that, you know, one, one of the good things that we're going to get out of this is that uh, when you look at the the job picture out there, the manufacturing is one of the few industries uh, that is still going to be hiring over the years. And it's going to be hiring at a, at a higher pace. Uh, I was astounded the other day to find out what some of the starting salaries were. And I say starting, you know, with some experience. Uh, for you know, precision machinists and for CNC operators, um, they are much much higher than any MBAs coming out of college at this point in time. So it would provo- uh, behoove a lot of people, and that's one of the things that we talk about. And I, I don't want to talk out both sides of my mouth because I teach in the uh, the, the uh, college level, but college isn't for everybody. And at the same time, the availability of you know, what we're finding in, in uh, I've gone to a couple of technical institutes, people are starting to realize that if there's a specific availability or a specific aptitude that you have, that manufacturers or high technology people are allowing you to take that in as a, uh, as a prerequisite. And when I say that before, in order to be a, uh, a technician or an engineer or whatever else, you had to have all these pre-requirements. Now what we're finding uh, with the availability of, of internships and partnerships, if you have a, a, a desire or a skill, you can work in, in an internship in a, in a lot of these companies or in a lot of these, quote, I don't use the word think tanks, but the collaboratives out there where you can learn uh, additive manufacturing or subtractive man, uh, manufacturing and uh, be, almost become a subject expert where you don't have that engineering base as the, you know, the, the degreed engineer. But you know what? You become an expert over two or three years, and you can start to. It's the uh, the job training uh, process. So we're going back almost to the World War II era. <laughs> I, I put a LinkedIn posting about that. How uh, the Springfield Army trained uh, you know women in manufacturing who are the warriors. It's that same process that we're using. Uh, we just don't have the time to put people through four years of an educational process uh, to get to, to learn specific techniques. So if we can give them a basic, basic salary, train them and get them, you know, running with their feet on the ground, it's going to work a hell of a lot better. Well, I there's a lot happening in the space. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. I can only hope that it's going to get better from here. It is. You know, the the bottom line, I know we're ending this conversation here, is it's a great time to be in manufacturing. Uh, I've been in manufacturing for, you know, well over 45 years while getting, going to um, close close to the 50-year mark. The the manufacturing sector took a real big hit in in the 80s. Uh, Everybody um, offshored, and it it was the thought process. It was the thing to do. Just you know, it was dirty. It was this. There were other jobs out there. Uh, There were the sexier jobs to be in uh, IT, to be in technology, to be in customer service, and to be whatever else that is out there. 
Uh, but what you're finding right now is that we're going to have to bring it back in here, here, and back into the shores of the United States. And as a result of that, there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And one of the things that we're going to have to look at is, you know, the different types of manufacturing, additive manufacturing, uh, manufacturing 4.0, you know, robotics. Uh, the one thing that people will understand in the next couple of years or so that uh, a robot, robot is going to be your partner mm-hmm. in working. And it's not that they're taking your job away. Uh, there's nobody there to be your partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if that robot isn't there uh, to help you, he's actually keeping you employed and keeping the process out there. He's doing a lot of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the repetitive work or he or she, whatever, robot or non-binary. <laughs> Uh, out there, that that is, they're going to be the pace setter. They're going to be the you know the, the person who's doing the monotonous uh, uh, chores. So hopefully, we'll be able to you know maintain some critical thinking. There you go. Well, I just have to thank you, Tony, for joining us today and giving us all the lowdown on the sector. And hopefully, we'll hear from you again. But um, thanks again for coming in. Yeah. High level conversation. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Anytime you're, <laughs> I'm available. There you go. All right, and to everybody listening, be well. Take care.